0: Welcome to Showboat, a series of podcasts from the Battleship North Carolina in Wilmington. I'm Danielle Wallace, Programs Director, and this is the fourth episode in a special series about the new Battlestar Collection. Today, I'm talking with Steve Watkins of Iron Man Knives and Forge and his apprentice, Billy Brooks. Steve, you were our first vendor for the Battlestar Collection and I was just wondering if you could tell everybody a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Um, I've been a full-time knife maker, um, bladesmith, for about 10 years. And I grew up in the Midwest and hunting and fishing, and it was just part of what we did. And so having a good knife, you know, my dad passed down, having a good knife was important. Having a sharp knife was even more important.
0: Why, why is having a good
1: knife and a sharp knife <laughs> so it's important? Just, I think it's their generation. You know, my dad's a boomer. He was born in 42, um, and his dad was a machinist. So not to get too long-winded, but he was one of 12 kids. All those 11 kids became farmers. He was the outlier. He was the machinist. And working with tools and working with his hands, um, having good tools is important so and then if you have a knife it's a tool and if you're going to have a knife it needs to be razor sharp so that it can do its job so those are just those old school practices that were passed down to me and um so to this day and you can ask billy i am a little bit compulsive obsessive about sharpening knives and having them sharp and making sure they work the way they're supposed to work
0: okay well that that makes sense i love that that history element of it that connection that you have to your family, because we are sort of seeing that as a, as a theme. Mm-hmm. One of the connections or uh, aspects of the Battlestar collection is that we're saying steel, wood, our stories, your stories, they're each one, each one is different, but they're all the same. And again, i am seeing how all of these stories are sort of tying in, but yet they each have this little spread and, and that's slightly different. So I love that.
1: Well, and... As I was driving up, you know, Billy hadn't been to Wilmington before and he hasn't seen the ship. And so as we're driving up, you see the conning tower as you're coming in. And I just, he said, that's really cool. And I said, it's humbling and exact words. Because, I mean, when you think of all the people that have walked on this ship, all the people that have fought for freedom, that have given their lives, that have given arms and limbs and devoted their lives to making everybody else better, then I want to I want to take those materials, and I want to make I don't want to make something simple out of them. What do I mean by simple? I, just, I I mean I don't want to make something that you sit on a shelf and you don't think about again. I want to make something that you pass down to your great great grandkids. This this ship was built in one thousand, nine hundred and thirty seven. It's still here. It's still important. It's still fascinating and interesting. And I want to take those those the wood and that steel and commemorate that in, in a way that I believe. Um, Does it justice, or at least I try to?
0: Well, I will say that when we first opened the Star Collection, Your Knife, the Kill Devil Hills Explorer, was the very first sale. And I think that it sold within hours of the store being open. So when I saw that, I was like, here we go. We are off to the races. <laughs> but when you were approached to, to be of this vendor to create the knives, what was the first thought that sort of went through your head?
1: I have a tendency to say yes without thinking. <laughs> so The first thought that went through my head was listen <laughs> to what they're saying and listen to, I wanted to make sure I could fulfill the needs. I didn't just want to say yes and wing it. I wanted to make sure that this, I thought this is an important project. This is, um, like I just said, how, you know, it's inspiring. And I wanted to make sure that I was prepared to to step up to the plate and and to raise myself up to the bar that I thought I needed to raise myself up to and make sure that I could do that.
0: And I know we've talked a little bit earlier, the First time I actually met you, I talked to you on the phone and stuff, but when you came to Wilmington and when I met you for the first time, you said, wow, this steel does some really crazy things <laughs> when you were working with it. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Well, so anytime you work with steel, any bladesmith, so there's, there's a myriad of steels that you can choose from, and they all have um, different qualities. Some are tougher, some are more brittle, some are but whatever they are. The more and more you work with it the better you get at bringing out those properties and so most bladesmiths will will kind of go down a path they'll try a few different steels and 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 then they'll settle on something and then they'll work with that for years and then they become experts at it and so the first thing that i did was um, i had the steel analyzed sent it off, had it analyzed, and it came back. And, there, and in the analyzation, there, there wasn't anything that was that stood out as, you know, odd. Um, but you only find what you're looking for. And so when I started working with the steel, I was like, all right, I need to make a knife and run a test. And so what I knew about the steel from the analyzation was that it would not harden. And so to have a knife, you have to be able to harden the steel. Or you need to be able to take the steel and mix it into... process or marry it to a hardenable steel Um, so that was the first thing I did and I thought so there's a there's a technique um, that's laminating pieces of steel together so what we did is we took a, a piece of carbon steel that we knew would harden and then I took two pieces of ship steel and sandwiched them on the outside like an Oreo cookie and then when I would grind down through to the edge Um, it would reveal the carbon core. So it would be hard at the edge, but you could still see a distinct line where the ship steel started and stopped. So that was the first thing I wanted to see was, okay, can I make this steel weld to this carbon steel? So that was our first test. And so I did that. Everything worked, made the knife. And then when you're in this process, you're making the knife and everything's just kind of rough and ugly. And then as you're refining it and cleaning it up, you start seeing things. And I started seeing this pattern appear in the steel. And it was super interesting, super cool and I had no idea what it was.
0: A pattern. So what are what are you saying? Is it swirls? swirls?
1: swirls. <laughs> paisleys. It looked like Paisley's or Whoa. or swirls. So and what I came to find out, so through working with it, and so then, then you start going down the rabbit hole. All right, how do I make this happen every time? Can I make this happen every time? What was my process? Start backtracking, doing all these things. And um, so what it is, is it's alloy banding. And so when we're heating up this steel, when anytime you take steel and you, and you heat it up past about, I don't know, you get it somewhere around 2,000 degrees, all of the molecules, it's glowing orange on the outside, um, and it's starting to get soft and almost sticky um, but on the inside every single molecule has let go of the other molecules and we call it going into solution. So it, in a hardened piece of steel, if I, if I kind of go in reverse, in a hardened piece of steel if you, if you were to look at it under a microscope it would it would look like a kind of like a octagon like a crystalline octagon shape and then on the corners you would have um, molecules you'd have a carbon molecule Attached to an iron molecule and that's what causes the hardening when you heat that up all those molecules separate and they're out in space so to speak and When when you do that and those molecules start moving around they can band up and migrate That's called alloy banding. So I still don't know what's in there. I think think it could be, and this is, a, this is a wild guess, It's just because when we weld it, when we work with it, it gets very shiny. I think it could be some type of nickel. And so my wild guess is that maybe that was kind of for corrosion resistance. Um, being out at sea, uh, nickel's extremely tough and wear resistant. So that was kind of my thought was maybe it's some type of nickel. And then uh, I have a very good friend who's a professional welder. And as soon as he started welding on it, he's like, there's nickel in this. <laughs> I said that's what I thought so may or may not be but regardless whatever it is these compounds that they have mixed into the steel to put it on the body on the hull of the ship for the purposes you know um, that it's going to be used for they've mixed in alloys for that purpose and when we heat that up those alloys band together migrate and then they form hard and soft spots on the outside in this ship steel And then once we make the knife, clean it up, and I can put it into an acid bath solution, which starts to very, very slowly eat the steel away. And what it does is it eats the soft spots away a little bit faster and leaves the hard banded spots a little bit more proud or raised. You can barely feel the difference, but you can see it. And then when we buff it up and polish it, you can see all of this crazy, swirling, figuring throughout the knife and I just thought it was so cool and so particular to this steel that I wanted to bring that out if I could and so then that sent me down another rabbit hole and another rabbit hole and and, and but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the results we've got
0: well you know I've, I've seen the knives and it's absolutely true in that each one is completely different and that it does have that look and for the listeners what we will try to do is put some of the different knives on the website uh, for people to sort of see close-up pictures of how each one is is different so they can sort of visualize more what you're talking about. How how long did did it take you to do that first knife? I'm gonna say that
1: first knife probably I'm gonna say about three weeks something like that. I, I made it and then all these weird things started happening with that steel, and then I would, um, I would polish it one way, and then I would dip it in the acid again, and then I and I just kept working it and working it and working it and trying to figure out what to do with it. So it, it took me about three weeks to kind of get that first knife where I wanted it, and then we started to make, I started making a run of like eight knives or 10 knives, I don't remember exactly how many at that time, and then just trying to refine that process and then trying to get some repeatable results took another month, probably. And then now we've kind of we've got it down. We we, we know how to make it if it's going to do it. We know how to make it, you know. And uh, every now and then, and it and what I find is every plate of steel is different. Some have more of this alloy in it. Some have less. And so some have more figure. Some have less figure. And I think it all depends on where it was standing on the ship and and how it was poured and what day they made it or whatever. So we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know how to get the best result that we can get.
0: So the battleship keeps you on your toes.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, very good. Now, I know that you made, um, along with the Kill Devil Hills, you made a first run of limited oyster shuckers. And those, of course, sold out, I think, within a month or so. (laughs) of us having them, they're gone. So tell me about the, those original shuckers and then I know that you've come up with another shucker that, that Billy helps you with. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So the the first shucker I did in a similar way to the knives. Um, I took two pieces of steel, one piece of carbon steel, one piece of ship steel, um, heated them up to 2200 degrees until they're just about to melt. And then I would, I would put both these pieces into a 50 ton press and squeeze them and it would attach one piece to the other. Then I would grind them and I would kind of try to do that same thing to try to get the results. Um, super labor intensive. Super labor intensive and cool, but super labor intensive. So then we just kind of refined that process. And then I was like, you know, I think if we mix this into a multi bar, so instead of having two pieces of steel, we start out with, I think maybe. 13 layers, something like that, around there, 13 layers of alternating different types of steel, and we take some of the ship steel and layer in there with it, squeeze it all together, mix it all up, and it comes out with these really interesting patterns. It's it's a, a technique. It's either called laminating steel or Damascus steel. That's where that techniques originally, originally was in Damascus and Turkey. Um, and so we're not doing that exact thing, but we're getting close to it. And um, it just makes really... Beautiful, I think, pretty interesting shuckers. Just as cool as the other ones, but um, we can make them a little quicker. And so you're not having to pay crazy amounts of money. <laughs> for, sure. No, so.
0: Absolutely. So everybody out there who has the Outer Banks shucker... Um, lucky you, because those are gone, and you're not yeah. going to make those again.
1: <laughs> we have but, one. I have one left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we have the the sea breeze shucker. Yeah. And that's what we are currently have, and that is what Billy. I think you've helped Billy to work with that. So Billy, do you want to jump in here and and talk about making and helping Steve with those sea breeze shuckers?
2: Yeah, it's been an absolute blast to work on those shuckers and. One, I think one of my favorite parts about working on them is the etch at the end when we're all done, they're all ground into shape. Uh, we found that every now and then on some of the shuckers there will be just some some layers that etch just slightly differently. And we tried to figure out could it be something with our etch solution, could it be how we polished them. And we've kind of tested all those and we found that we can't figure out what it is and we imagine that has to be those layers of ship steel coming through. And so. For me that's been one of the best parts about making it is you know i'm working with it the whole time and i'll often think about what i'm working with and i'm working with steel literally off the side of a battleship and you know to see that come out in the end where you can almost make it out and be able to point out wow there is actual battleship steel and i can find it in all these layers that's really been one of the most interesting parts i think of the the process of those
0: well that's that's so awesome And Billy sitting here looking at you of course our listeners can't see you but I know you're you're young yes, you're a young man and um, how does that really feel to think gosh I'm I'm working with steel that World War two guys were on this was I, I'm this is probably 60 70 80 years older than my myself so so what <laughs> what's going through your mind
2: it's hard to wrap your mind around a little bit and I think Steve put it in the perfect way when he said humbling because, you know, like you said, this is, you know, 80 plus years ahead of my time and uh, the deck boards are the same. And then I I asked Steve one time if these deck boards were cut and made into boards for the ship back in the 30s. Imagine how old those trees were to be big enough to cut down and make into deck boards. So I realized what I'm working with is things, you know, like a generation or two ahead of myself and it kind of, it puts it into perspective and it makes it hard to put into perspective at the same time that, you know, these things that I'm working with carry with themselves just so much history. And, you know, I'm giving it its own new history by making it into something totally new to commemorate everything there. But it also, it carries more history with itself than I could ever, you know, attempt to recreate. So that's, humbling really is the best word. It's just, it's really an honor. It's really... Just super cool, super fun to work with these things.
0: Well, Billy, you've you've just said something that's blown my mind <laughs> because I would never thought of the teak right. that way. You know, um, I, I just think, okay, here's the teak, and I think of it, uh, exactly with the steel, but I never thought how old is that teak to have been harvested to be then put on the ship. So, so poof.
1: Yeah, 100 right. years. I mean, you're, I look, you're mean, looking at 100 that's, years that's, plus, yeah.
0: That's, that's huge. So, so Well, I had never thought of that. So, so great point, Billy. Now, we have um, three of the products that you have done right now available, the Kill Devil's Hill, the Sugar Mountain Knife, yep. and the Seabreeze Shucker. I have two little words that when I show something to somebody, um, I'm, I'm hoping that they say because if they do, I know that there's an absolute winner. And I will say, but to both of y'all, that I have shown all three products to different people, friends I've known, or people who I work with here on the ship, and they will say, wow. And the second word is cool. And <laughs> those are my two words. If people say, wow. And if they say, that's cool, I know that there's a winner there. And so that is said on all of those, and especially when um, someone is fortunate enough to where they're looking at all of them together and they can sort of see how each one is different. Uh, you know, they Again, those words pop out, wow and cool. And then I'm going, yeah,
1: like, <laughs> like the font. Yeah. We say that in the <laughs> shop a lot. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's cool for us, and it's fun. Like, when... Like what Billy was saying was when you put it in the edge, so you have, when you make the shucker or you make a knife, if you're making it out out of a multi-bar steel, when you make it and and you clean it all up, it looks like any ordinary knife until you put it in the acid. And the second you put it in the acid, those different layers color up differently and you can see that pattern. It's like a magic trick. And so, I mean, we're literally... Every time we're like, oh, put it in the edge, put it in the edge just so that we can see it. And then when we bring them out, you're like, that is so cool, it never gets old. It, really, it never gets old.
2: It really never does get old. It's it's like he said, such a funny sight because you've got the both of us, all the shuckers ready to be etched in our hands and we're both crowded over the, the etch solution so we can see that yeah. right on the dip. We're both hunched over right in front of it just so we can get that first look.
0: Well, y'all have just given me a new idea next time. Please video that. Oh, we will. So oh, that's sure. and, and so we can share that on our website because I think that would be cool. Cool for other people to sort of see that. I, I, I and I would like to see it yeah. myself. So, so, um, so yes. Oh, uh, question about the acid. What, what acid is it? It's ferric chloride,
1: chloride, which is chloride. it's a very mild acid. So you can put your fingers in it. I mean, like, I'll, I'll I'll reach in and, like, if I've got a shucker and and it's in a... We put them in little Tupperware containers with this acid. It's it's mixed four to one with water. And you can touch it with your fingers. It, it, if you have an open cut, it may burn. It's more salt than anything. Um, and then you can neutralize it with ammonia. So, literally, we'll pick it up and shoot it with Windex oh. and neutralize it. So, it's not a super caustic... Um, but if you leave it for a long time, it will. It's almost like when I was a kid, um, you could take a penny. I'm sure you could still do this, but when I was a kid, we would take pennies and you put it in a bowl and you pour a little Coke over it. And then if you let the Coke sit there for an hour, or so you take your penny out and your penny be shiny. So there's enough acidity in that Coke to take the tarnish off, This it's that same kind of thing. It's not, we're not using anything that's, you know, that we have to have hazmat suits on, or anything. It's the same kind of acid you etch computer boards with.
0: Oh, okay. Now uh, that's fascinating, and I don't like thinking about what Coke does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, being here from the south, you know, we like I like my Coke, but I, and I shouldn't. But so, <laughs> um, tell me about the word Iron Man for you, because you're you know, it's Iron Man Forge, Iron Man knives. Where is that coming
1: from? So, it's a little bit of a double entendre. Um, I, I, I wanted to check some things off my bucket list. And I, I was involved in sports growing up. Um, I was an all-state wrestler. I played football at uh, Arkansas State and Southeast Missouri State for a year. Um, so, I was always competitive, and I was always involved in sports, anyway, um, I wanted to do a triathlon. I had blown both my knees out playing sports when I was in high school and college. I don't have an ACL in either one of my knees, Um, and I didn't know if I could do a triathlon because my knees would swell up if I walked a lot or ran a lot. Long story short, I did a triathlon. It actually rehabbed my knees. I have no trouble with them, have had no trouble with them to this day. It strengthened all the all the muscles around them and this and that. So that was kind of my bucket list was to do a triathlon and check it off. I had so much fun, but then I did a longer one, and then I did a longer one, and I didn't tell anybody, but I kind of had in the back of my mind, I wanted to do an Ironman. Well, fast forward, I've done 14 Ironmans, countless marathons. Um, I qualified for Hawaii twice, and so I was very into mainly just competing with myself to see if I could do that. First off, to see if I could complete one. Then to see if I could be competitive in one and if I could qualify. And and so I did those things. So when I started making knives, I was pretty much at the apex of that. And I needed a name for my knife company. And I'm like, Iron Man Knives. So that's what that means. (laughs) It's both... Iron for the knives and iron for your body.
0: Sure. And uh, visitors, you're, you're going to have to excuse us, but we are recording this on the battleship and visitors are here and sometimes they're jumping around and everything. So if you hear any crazy noise maybe in the background, that's because we're on the ship. We love the ship and, and visitors like to, to do their thing on the ship. Now, now, Billy, how did you find out about Steve and how did you what, what brought you to want to work with steel and... And, and wood and all of that, that type of good craftsmanship?
2: Well, I, one of my oldest interests uh, since early teen years, I mean, maybe 12, 13 years old, was blacksmithing. For some reason, I latched onto it. It was just something I thought was the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, I would watch YouTube videos, I would read online, but that was about as close as I could get to it at the time. And I went to college and, you know, I tried out a couple different things and I ended up in uh, fine arts and sculpture because I found I really wanted to work with my hands. I really wanted to work with materials like steel and build these things. And throughout the process, I uh, I created a really good mentorship and bond with my professor, my sculpture professor. And uh, he had let slip to me one time that there was a forge in the the sculpture department, it had just been broken for 16, 17 years. That was his mistake because from then on I began to bug his ear off about, are we ever gonna fix up the forge? Are we ever gonna fix up the forge? Until one day Steve moved into town and put out the word, put out feelers that he was looking for an intern. And obviously having been in my professor's ear so much he said, I know the perfect guy. So he, you know, got me in contact with Steve and We pretty much hit it off from there and just kind of started going. And I've been learning from him about two years now. And, you know, pretty much all I've ever, I'm doing now what I kind of always wanted to do was learn bladesmithing, learn, you know, working in a forge with hot metal and things like that. And and then, fun fact, uh, he, my professor, gave me that forge and said, if you can fix it, then you can start using it. And I brought it back to him the next day where I'd taken it to Steve's and me and Steve fixed it up. And so now that forge, have, I've signed my name on it. That's going to be the forge <laughs> in the sculpture department oh,
0: there goodness. at my
2: school for the coming years. So
0: love to hear that.
2: Yeah, it was, it was just really cool to, you know, I was asking him if he was ever going to fix it. And then finally I got the chance to fix it myself. And now who knows how many years of students are going to get to use that forge and maybe get to pursue their interest in forging and blacksmithing and things like that. Just off of my interest.
0: Well, that's great. And I want everybody to know uh, who's listening is that one of the uh, things that people need to be aware of regarding your products, Steve, is that they're limited edition, most of them. I know that the Kill Devils is limited to 30, and the Sugar Mountain is, I think, limited to 40. And why did you choose to to limit some of your product?
1: Because I like... To create, and I like to make new things, and I like to make interesting things, and to me, having something special that nobody else has, or that only a few people have, is cooler than having something that everybody has. And so when I did these, um, I'm like, I want to do these, but I want to make them limited. I want them numbered. And then when they're done, they're gone. We're not doing them again. We'll do something cool. But we're going to do something else. And and we just keep doing that. And I think it, I think it adds value and importance to the item because if you want one, you should get one because once they're gone, they're gone.
0: <laughs> do, do you hear that everybody? Once they're gone, they are gone. And I know that those Kill Devil Hills are almost, I think we've sold half of the yeah. um, run of those. And so Hurry up and, and get your, now, get, get your Kill Devils, get your Sugar Mountain, um, but we're going to keep the Sea Breeze Oyster shuckers open yeah. um, because it's just going to be fun, but I'm excited that you get bored, both of you, that you <laughs> that you get bored, and the reason is because I like to see the new products that y'all come up with
1: because
0: yeah. it's so much fun.
1: Well, that's the exciting part. That's the exciting part of creating. The... The best part, Bert told me this one time, he said, the best part, you have an idea. He goes, there's two great times when you're making something. You have the idea, you're thinking it up, you're super excited, and then the next great time is when you're finished. And he goes, and it's the in-between that's really hard. (laughs) So... And and it's true because sometimes you're like this is going to be so awesome and then like you ask you know how long did it take you that first night, it took three weeks just to get one out and then they start coming out a little faster but you know as you're doing that you're like I'm ready to do something new right and then you want to be creative again because that gets those creative juices going and it, and it's fun it's like what can I pull out of my head that I haven't seen before that we can use these materials for and be super cool and that keeps me revved up it keeps me excited.
0: Well, and Billy, really quick, what does that mean to you to think, oh gosh, what is Steve going to work on next?
2: I never know what to expect. <laughs> when when a new one's coming, I never know what to think is going on in his head, but that is the joy for me of it, is it's kind of, he, until he gets it on paper, he doesn't know, and until I start seeing it come together, it's in his head, he can see it, but when I see it start kind of forming, that is one of the funnest parts, is to see just little by little, it's coming together until I see the finished product. And then I think, wow, you made something really cool. You know, I, <laughs> I can't wait to make a few of those. And that's really the funnest part is seeing it come to life from just someone describing it to you or from a sketch when it's not in your own head. Seeing it actually come to fruition, hold it in your hand and in the end is really fun.
0: Well, and again, I like that word, cool. Yeah. It went cool equals good in my, in my book. Mm. Well, is there, is there anything else that y'all would like to say?
1: No, we're just really appreciative to be part of this, and um, we're honored to be part of it, and we just hope that uh, we hope that other people see what we're doing and, and enjoy it and like it. And, and like I said, it's, it's, we're trying to put out heirlooms.
0: Mr. Steve, thank you so much. And again, everybody, go look at what uh, Steve and Billy have done on Battlestar Collection. Uh, you're going to love it, and get yours now because they're limited edition. Aww. Thank you so much, guys.
1: Thanks for having Thank us. Thank
0: you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. From the Battleship North Carolina in Wilmington, North Carolina, please check out the Showboats Podcast webpage on BattleshipNC.com. We have put some pictures of Steve and Billy and their knives on the podcast page, and hopefully, some video will be coming soon. Of course, these products are available for sale on BattlestarCollection.com.